Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA, and I'm here with you every week listening to the stories and teaching journeys of Georgia's committed music teachers. One thing that many of us didn't realize as young musicians is the various paths this career can take us down. And while some of our journeys have been a straight path, most of us have taken unexpected turns and leapt at opportunities as they presented to us. We've had administrators on this podcast in the past, but today is the first time we have someone speaking to us as a high school administrator. I'm excited to hear his story about how he got there. So without further delay, let me introduce to you today's guest, Sam Brown. Hello, Sam. Hello, great to be with you all today. Let's get started with a background question. Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. I'm the incoming assistant principal here at Rainey McCullers School of the Arts in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, and it has been quite a journey to get here. Uh, I appreciate you talking about different pathways. That's definitely something I'm really passionate about. I, I never expected to be sitting in the seat uh, where I am today. So a little bit about how I got here. I started piano when I was five years old. Uh, my parents prioritized that in my life. They were a musical family and took lessons all throughout elementary, middle school, high school. It started to develop into something that I enjoyed as I entered high school and a little light bulb kind of went off and said, hmm, maybe I could do something with this. You know, I watched my teacher. I saw how she interacted with students and I had some teaching inclinations, but at the same time, I was struggling with whether or not I really wanted to do that. Uh, in the end, I decided to take a stab at it and go to college and study music. I was a piano performance major at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. And after just the first year, I was like, yes, this is it. This is my people. I, I met a lot of other musicians and found uh, a community. So through those four years, it developed a lot. I felt like coming into the program, I had a lot of catching up to do technically and uh, just knowledge base wise. Um, that's, in, that's where I ended up meeting my wife. So, you know, it was a very important part of my life. During that time, I also got to go to Brevard Music Center and study with some other professors. Again, getting exposed to the larger music community. At that point, I was thinking, hmm, you know, maybe I could become a private instructor, have my own studio of, you know, 50 students and build out a great business. And then part of me was like, no, maybe I could go on and become a college professor. You know, I saw the, the work that my own teachers were doing and said, oh, that's an interesting lifestyle they have. They get to come in and work with high level students every day. Wow, that must be fun. Not knowing all the things that go into that, right? I went on to grad school, still piano performance, that very narrow track. I went to Columbus State University and studied with Alexander Cobran. Again, never thinking that I would still be here in Columbus seven years later. But those two years were really important. That was the, the point where I discovered, no, I, I don't want to be a college professor. That's where I also took a really hard look at myself and learned, I don't have what it takes to be a stage performing solo musician. That, that's not for me. I loved collaborative, loved working with choirs and all that. I did a lot of that through college and, and university. But I, at that point in grad school, I knew, no, I'm not going to be a performing musician. What other avenues are available to me? Uh, so teaching, you know, I started to do a lot of teaching in grad school, working with all ages, you know, five years old through some 
uh, retirees, you know, people who are literally telling me, I want to learn how to play the piano before I die. Like, whoa, okay, great. We can do that. That exposure was, was fantastic. And I, I learned that I love teaching more than anything. That was my, my thing. As I was finishing grad school, uh, the school that I'm that I'm in right now was being built. The community here uh, has prioritized the arts, and they had a, a they raised money through tax initiatives, voted on it over multiple years, uh, built this beautiful thirty six million dollar facility, and have continued to sustain it these last several years as, as we've got off the ground. Uh, so I came in with no teaching credential. Uh, they had a piano track for middle and high school students. And I got to kind of cut my teeth in this program, make it my own, explore, try different things. And uh, obviously the public school system has certain requirements. So I came in on a provisional certificate. Um, many school districts right now are looking for teachers uh, in, in different content areas. We're uh, learning how to recruit and retain teachers during this difficult time. And there's, there's alternate ways to get into this field. So I came in provisionally, I had to do a teacher certification program. So I became certified as a, a music teacher from K through 12. I could teach any level of music technically. Now, piano is obviously my, my home, uh, and that's what I've continued to do. But the time here was really valuable. I taught in the classroom for five years, developing this program. It was a lot of fun because we had students uh, in sixth grade who would come in. They had no previous experience. So I got to work with them in a group setting, uh, having several beginning level courses, uh, then there were intermediate classes where I'd have my second and third year players combined together. Some also would come in with previous private lesson experience. And then I also had some majors who had had lessons since they were like five or six, seven years old. And those were the kids who uh, I would get to do individual lessons with. So working with the building schedule and all that has been a challenge, but I think we've started to kind of find a good system that works where we have uh, the opportunity for students who've never taken music classes to come in and get exposure to the instrument. Uh, get that foundational music theory and, and technical uh, requirement done. And then we also have a track for students who are considering becoming teachers or are interested in college and university study. Uh, during those five years when I was teaching, the wheels started to turn. Okay, well, this is fun. I like being in a fine arts environment. The collaboration with other faculty is awesome. Uh, and then I saw all the things that I wanted to change and improve upon. And it's like, well, I don't have any power. I'm just a piano teacher, right? And so first I became the department chair of the art series. Uh, that opportunity presented itself. I got to organize events and facilitate some of those collaborations and kind of take things to the next level, uh, working alongside the administrators. And then that wasn't enough. And I was like, well, what else can I do? I had absolutely no interest in becoming a building level administrator, like an assistant principal or principal. That was way off my radar, even in the first two years of being a teacher. I was much more interested in like central office arts administration, where you're facilitating um, arts programs throughout the district and advocating for them, dealing with the budget, those types of things. Uh, but my, my focus has shifted. I've opened myself to more opportunities. I understand I need some experience uh, just being a building level administrator, dealing with all the intricacies there. So I went ahead and um, completed a educational leadership certificate, getting that tier one certification that's required by the state of Georgia. And the school district saw my interest and they were kind enough to keep me in the same building that I'm, that I originally started to teach in. So I get to be the assistant principal this coming year at uh, Rainey McCullers, uh, where I first started five years ago now, six years. Yeah. So that's how I got here. Kind of long story. Can you 
you clarify for us, um, is this school middle school only or is it middle school and high school levels? Sure, great question. So we are six through 12. The middle school is exploratory in its nature. And then the high school, you have to choose a major track. Uh, there are nine total arts majors that you can choose from. Uh, we have multiple music areas. So you've got your traditional band, orchestra, chorus. And then we have more specialized areas like guitar and piano. Uh, we also have your traditional theater program. Dance is something we, we don't often see. Visual arts is very robust right now. And then creative writing. Uh, those are all the areas that we offer. If the school has been in operation, you said about five years, and it takes about uh, seven years to go through the whole program, you're starting to get to uh, see the result of this curriculum and walking students through this curriculum and seeing the results of several classes graduating. And certainly in two years, you'll see some kids graduate after spending seven years. What would you say um, in terms of summarizing the effect of this program on students' educational development? That's a great question. Yeah. I think that the, the school is still working to define what our purpose is. Uh, you might think, oh, you've been around five years. Like, surely you have a mission and vision statement. Actually not. It's something we're going to be working on this year. I, I do think there's a value in getting started and then figuring out what, uh, what types of students we have coming in and what they value, what they're interested in, how the community thinks the school should fit in and prepare students for the workforce and additional study. So in terms of just piano, though, the curriculum that I've set in place, I know has been very valuable to students who are pursuing further study in college, especially those students who are maybe like a band or orchestra major. They've taken my piano class and been like, whoa, this, what a great tool for understanding music theory on a new level. So that's been really rewarding, seeing them go to college and already have some of the skills that they would naturally have to tackle that first and second year of undergraduate school. And then I think it's going to take a little bit more time for us to see students from the piano program who are going on and becoming teachers or are interested in secondary level study or excuse me, post-secondary. We're not quite there yet. And I have so few students. I only got to see one of mine graduate. Actually, uh, when we opened the building, we were only six through 10. And then I had some of my older students that were moving away and things like that. So it's going to take some time. But um, I think for the, the middle school with this exploratory vision that Students are able to come in and try out a bunch of different things across all of the arts. Uh, and then going into high school, they get to choose a track and stick with it for those four years. Ultimately, we know that many of our graduates are not going to become artists, right? They're, they're not going to be on stage. They're not necessarily going to be touring. But having completed four or maybe six or seven years in a, uh, an art school like this certainly would make them more well-rounded, more appreciative of the arts, consumers of the arts on a new level. Uh, and that's that's one of our goals is to round out their education and, and just make them connoisseurs of the arts, I guess. Yeah. In their everyday lives. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things about the location of this school is it is in a smaller town. A lot of times when we think of art schools, we think of those big metropolitan areas. So is there a community interest and in how has recruitment been like for your school? That's a great question. In the first few years. People thought that we were part of the library or the aquatic center or the tag office is we were just another building that was right in this location. We had a lot of trouble defining what we were, especially, you know, we didn't have that mission vision statement. So we've, we've made, had a big push on the marketing side of things these last few years in the admissions process, which I got to be part of as the magnet coordinator, helping the community understand what we are, what we're trying to do, 
also trying to work alongside the other schools. It's been a difficult situation. Sometimes they see us as poaching their students, taking the best of their art students out of you know, the traditional schools. So we've had to work really hard to build relationships and make sure that there's continuity in instruction and that we're not trying to steal those students or trying to uh, just provide more opportunities and access to the arts. Um, in terms of the size of the community, I agree. This is a truly exceptional situation when you look at uh, the size of the city. Uh, we are a military, we have a military contingent here at Fort Benning. So that certainly adds a lot to the size of the community and the amount of people who are coming into our in and out of our area regularly. But yes, I'd say you can you can also look at this from the uh, post-secondary level. The university here, Columbus State University, has a particular amazing fine arts contingent, um, which has been funded by the community. Uh, so there's a high priority on the arts here. I couldn't really explain why, but it's something that we're trying to capitalize on. One thing I'll say, uh, when we opened the building, the district office set our school up as a lottery-based system. And then over the course of the next four years, we've been transitioning to merit-based system where students actually apply. And especially on the high school side, they're auditioning. That process can become exclusionary to certain types of students coming from certain types of communities, demographics, et cetera, et cetera. So we've been working really hard to break down some of those barriers, get into the schools who traditionally have not sent students our way, trying to make sure that they know how they can get in. Because we're one of our goals this year is to continue to become more representative of, of the community that we serve. You've talked a lot about being on the ground level and wanting to build up the program. What is the program like? Do students play juries? Are there repertoire requirements? Do they have uh, exams like that happen in undergraduate programs? Is it much like that? Sure. Yeah, I'll talk about specifically the high school major track that we have set up. So after students audition and they're in the program, uh, we have a four-year track. We try to keep them on certain repertoire suggestions, those levels that we're trying to shoot for, technical requirements, and the accountabilities for those are set up on a semester basis. So we kind of have a mini version of what you would expect to see in a college or university. Um, on a semester basis, we'll have juries where students come in and they play some type of technical requirement and whatever repertoire they're working on. And that's a checkpoint. That's a conversation point. That's a chance for us to say, okay, are we on track? Or are we off track? That's also an opportunity to bring in the parent and, and provide the extra level of support. Then in the spring, we have another jury at the end of the semester where we're checking in to see their full, their full set of repertoire that they've studied and any additional technical requirements that were the focus for the year. Sometimes there's going to be some overlap with stuff they prepared for competitions or their spring recital, those types of things. Uh, in terms of the program as a whole, every student is playing on a recital in the fall and in the spring. As you know, most competitions are happening in spring, so uh, the fall is all about gearing up, and uh, we do a little bit of extra theory prep and technique prep in the fall just so we can focus more on the, the tweaking, the polishing, the finishing of the repertoire in the spring semester. Uh, one other thing that our students do in their senior year, they prepare a capstone project. Uh, right now, we're going through some transitions to what that looks like. Previous years, when I had a senior last year, uh, he basically prepared a, a larger senior recital, and this was based on his previous experience and his abilities. He prepared four pieces and a duet uh, performed in a solo setting on stage all by himself. We worked on them for at least a year. Some pieces we also pulled back from previous years, 
Uh, so it was kind of a culminating project for him to look back on and, and take some of those pieces with him as he goes on and studies something totally unrelated. He's interested in pre-law, actually. But I hope those pieces will be near and dear to him in the future as well. So. Sure. So you've described your journey as a professional musician. Now, can you describe for us your journey as a teacher? How have you changed who or what have been your key influences? That's a great question. Yeah. Before I moved into the school setting, I would say I relied heavily on method books for my beginners. And then I really would just wing it with my students who are old enough to, you know, be playing some Bergmuller or, you know, Bach inventions, those types of things. And then one thing that I, I noticed when I took the plunge and became a classroom teacher, I really started to value the structure of lesson planning and thinking in the short and the long term. And I reflected on my private teaching was like, wow, there is absolutely no structure in what I've been doing. It is a lot of just, let's see what happens today. And it was fine. I could get away with that because I had good knowledge of the content and you know I had innate teaching ability. So I, I tried to bring some of that structure and organization and long-term planning from the classroom setting into my private teaching, anticipating challenges that those private students might face, trying to think more long-term, how will this, this repertoire selection really benefit them? Is this going to be a good pick or not, rather than just going with the flow? So I think actually that transition into the classroom had a huge impact on how I worked with my private students as well. Do you continue to teach? I do. I'm hoping that's going to work out for me to keep my adjunct position at CSU. So I'll still get to have a few non-major students. Uh, typically, those are music ed kids who just need to have some individual lessons for a year or two. But I'm probably not going to have time to teach any other classes here in, in the building. Yeah. What advice do you have for parents who have children taking lessons? How can they encourage and help them to succeed? Absolutely. I think as a parent, if you have done your due diligence selecting a teacher, once you begin lessons, you need to trust that teacher. I'm a parent. I have two little boys, and I think towards the day when they'll begin lessons, and I know how hands-off I really want to be. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be involved at all in their uh, instruction. Uh, so I think as a parent, you, you've got to let go. Sometimes I get parents in the studio who are very well-meaning. And they want to be extremely involved in this uh, repertoire selection. They want to be right there with me, coaching and teaching. And I like that energy. I love that um, engagement. But you can really empower your teacher and your child by being hands-off and asking how you can support rather than just jumping in and maybe going a little too far. Uh, another thing I think is a, is a teacher that I have really valued is when parents are providing structure for their children at home especially, and that there has to be a balance with this, right? Uh, I'm sure you're probably already anticipating that. Structure, yes, in terms of having a set time for when practicing needs to occur. Practicing and homework kind of should be synonymous. Uh, there are certain tasks as adults we have to do. And I think uh, as a parent, if you're giving those things to your child, you must do this before you can do that. That creates discipline, the, one of the things that I have valued as a teacher is seeing a student persevere through a long-term project, helping them learn that they can do hard things, even when, though it may not be enjoyable through the process. The end product may sometimes be really, really enjoyable. And then one other thing I wanted to balance this out with, and this actually comes from my personal experience. My wife was also a music major. She went through four years of undergrad, started to teach, and absolutely hated it. 
Uh, it was a horrible experience for her. It was not, not a good fit for one thing. And one reason that she ended up getting there to that point, she'd done a whole degree, started teaching was because her parents had overemphasized it in her, her growing up years. It was the thing that they wanted her to do and kind of, they, they kind of forced her through that. So I think there has to be a balance between like insisting that your child meet the requirements to be involved in music lessons or, or other, any other after school pursuit for that matter, and overemphasizing it to an extent where it becomes a problem. And the student, the child just becomes completely off put from anything musical or artistic. That's a tragedy. We certainly would never want that as teachers, as parents. So that balance has to be at play. But I think all this comes back to trusting the teacher as a professional. Mm, great. Thanks for that word of advice. Do you have any books about music or teaching that you can recommend? I do. I do. I came prepared today. I have two that I love to share. Uh, the first one is With Your Own Two Hands by Seymour Bernstein. Uh, this is a great one. Personally, I have really benefited from this. I discovered it in college, and uh, it just has a lot of practical down-to-earth things for uh, your own practice. And uh, you may find some, some great anecdotal stories in here as a teacher that are humorous. Just super practical sections in here about ear training and even nerves on stage that I found really beneficial over the years. And the second book is The Musician's Way by Gerald Klickstein. Uh, this is another kind of personal growth book for musicians. Unmasking performance anxiety is a chapter that I often assign my students to read. There's some very practical sections in here about injury prevention and collaboration, getting organized, how to practice, things like that. So those are two books that have been really beneficial to me. Uh, maybe not so much pedagogically focused, but personally as a musician, figuring out my own systems and then being able to turn those over to students to try out on their own. What have you advised um, students in terms of performance anxiety, especially as someone who teaches teenagers, right? That's really when the performance anxiety kicks in. When they're five or six, they're a little unaware. And so they go up stage, they have fun, everyone claps for them. They love the attention. But once they reach those teenagers, it can be really difficult for them. Yeah, that's a great point. And this is so tricky. Performance anxiety nerves is never a one size fits all situation in my experience. There's never magic pixie dust or one phrase that you can say to a student that will make it go away. Every situation has to be analyzed separately. In my experience with teens, oftentimes they can become very mental very quickly. Uh, I've seen some teens that I've had in my studio, they literally have trouble with the physical aspects of nerves. They're shaking, they sweat, uh, you know, they get the stomach rumbling. And oftentimes uh, if I have a conversation with a parent, parent may already have an idea. Hey, let's uh, explore some beta blockers with the doctor. Uh, I've had one student that's been really successful with. Uh, those are sometimes delicate conversations, but um, the science is there to back it up. You know, sometimes it's going to be a, some, a good fit, sometimes it's not. So with the um, physical side of nerves, like exploring a medication, with the mental side of nerves, I think it's really important to have consistency of lessons with the students throughout any of these up and down performances. You know, sometimes you get a student who has a really bad experience and they want to take like a month off or something. Really partnering with the parent to say, no, this is the time we need to dig in and 
have discussions, talk about what was going through your head during that moment, really understanding what the student's perspective has been, because it may be something as simple as, I really didn't want to disappoint that person in my life, or I'm really afraid of you, teacher. Uh, I'm afraid of what you're going to say afterwards. You know, that, that would be heartbreaking to hear, but um, sometimes that's the case. Discovering, you know, what the issue is, trying to get to the root of the problem and talking through it with the student and then giving them small opportunities to have successes. So giving them little performance opportunities that are not high stakes before the competition. I think before the big recital with the whole studio is really, really important. Helping them feel those moments of success can, can start to combat some of those nerves. But I think it's also important to talk to your students and be real with them, be realistic. Teach them that for the majority of people, nerves always exist. They, they will always be there with you in some fashion. It's our job, it's my job as your teacher to help you learn how to manage them and to put everything in context, uh, to have some good perspective on performances and getting up in front of people. So sometimes it's just a matter of changing uh, their mindset. You know, everyone out in the audience is actually really eager to hear you play. No one out there is judging you. They're not interested in like, they're not going to get excited if you make a mistake. Like there's none of that happening. Sometimes it's perspective. Uh, so just partnering with a parent, having the conversation with the student, trying to get to the root of the problem and then attacking it from uh, multiple avenues. That's my best advice. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Do you have passions and hobbies outside of music and teaching? I do. In high school, I did a lot of athletics, which was a balance in itself with music and athletics, the time that's required to do all those things. So I did soccer and golf golf, especially I was the number one on my team. And I love that. My dad was a golf course superintendent, man, I don't have any time to do that stuff now, but, uh, who knows, maybe in the future, I can get back to some of those things. One other thing in college, I did a lot of, if I wasn't practicing, I was playing ping pong, a lot of ping pong, love that. And most recently some badminton with a group of Koreans in the community here. I've had a lot of fun playing badminton. And then the other thing that I, I really enjoy doing is learning just continuing to uh, listen to audiobooks and read, trying to continuously improve. Recently, that's been stuff about habit formation and personal knowledge management. So like super nerdy stuff, but that's what I love. That's great. I love, I love asking this question because I love searching for like common strands between musicians. And that does seem to be, those two actually seem to be reoccurring themes among musicians, staying active. A lot of people, you know, talk about working out, exercising, jogging, you're playing sports, and then others talk about a love of learning and they really, you know, go off on various topics. So I love that about musicians and teachers. There's a huge overlap between athletics and music with the performance anxiety side as well. The mental aspect of uh, getting into those activities is that's been really enlightening as well. Tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has being part of this organization meant to you? Yeah, so when I was in my master's program, I saw some GMTA events being hosted at the university and started to ask some questions and realized I should obviously be involved in this and have this, um, especially the competition performance opportunities for my students. When I joined, I was the youngest member. And at the time, I think I was the only male teacher in the group. Uh, that's changed here and there a little bit. But despite those oddities, it was extremely valuable time not just for the sake of my students having these opportunities, but to come alongside other teachers and learn from them, 
have conversations about specific student parent scenarios. I can think of a couple of teachers right now we've had great conversations with during our times of waiting and logging and students in and registration and all that. The value of being a part of GMTA has extended far beyond what my students have gotten out of it. It's personally for me been valuable in my teaching profession. What aspects of your life and career as a musician has surprised you? How does it measure up to the life you envisioned for yourself as a young musician? I probably talked about this before quite a bit, but just the surprise of ending up uh, first off in a public school and then second off as an administrator. Uh, And I see myself continuing with that in the future. Um, Never would have thought that I would end up here, but doors open, doors close, your interests change, and over time, you find your place. Mm. So speaking of the future, what are your plans for the near future, the next two to five years? So currently, I'm enrolled in doctoral school at Georgia State University in the Educational Leadership EDD program. So my goal is to finish. Uh, I'd really like to be Dr. Brown by, uh, is it 2025? Uh, So give me three years, and I hope to be done with that. And that would also be finishing out a certificate to be a building level leader in the school district. So principalship, that type of thing. I see myself in arts administration, especially the K-12 setting, but who knows? That could change. We'll see what the future holds. That's great. I had no uh, no idea that you were pursuing a doctorate at the same time. How do you balance that? And um, I'm assuming this is a remote online program. You don't have to commute there for courses, right? Uh, it's a hybrid program. So monthly, I'm going up for classes. Uh, there's nine of us in the cohort, and all of us are working full-time jobs. So it's traditional for EDD programs to allow you to work full-time. It's a practitioner's degree. But Georgia State being a tier one research institution, like they're very high standards for um, writing research. Professors have been amazing so far. All that to say, um, yeah, uh, there is no balance in my life right now. The next three years are going to be absolutely insane. But I've had a lot of good conversations with my wife, my family about our long-term goals. Like this aligns with that. We know it's going to be difficult three years. Um, So, you know, I I couldn't do this if I didn't have uh, my wife and the balance that we have. Can you describe what a typical day in the life of Sam Brown is like? Like, what time do you wake up? What do you do next? (laughs) What time does your day end? Uh, I'm still figuring that one out with the new job, but I've just been told my arrival time will be 7 a.m. So that's about an hour before instruction starts in the building. So I'll be helping uh, teachers if there's anyone out for the day, get a sub for their classroom, that type of thing dealing with any student or parent issues that come up in the morning. Then I'd be here at the school until 3.30 is when students leave for the day. Some days we'll have meetings. That means we'll probably be here till 4.30 or 5. And then if that's a day when I might get to teach my non-major students at a university, I'd head down the road and teach a couple of them. Getting home, six, seven, hopefully get to put the kids to bed, which is always a lot of fun. Really, really, I, I really enjoy that. Uh, that's like the highlight of my day. And then uh, got to eat something and then probably just start reading and writing. Uh, so it's going to be insane for the next three years, but that's that's where we're at. Okay. You're going to be running on a lot of coffee, it sounds like. Yeah. Got it right here. <laughs> this is our very last question. Do you have any advice for young musical professionals and teachers as they embark on their careers and enter professional life? 
Yes, I do. Uh, and this has been, I think, the theme of the day. Be open to other avenues of employment. You don't have to have it all figured out when you start your degree in college or even when you finish your degree in college. It's okay to start something and shift gears. It's okay to have new interests. Have new interests. Keep learning. Learn about arts adjacent careers. That's something I've been teaching my own students about. Uh, you don't have to be on stage to earn a, a very good living in the arts. You can be backstage. You can be part of the theatrical entourage. You can be a collaborative pianist uh, who's, who's not solo on stage, right? Uh, you can be an arts administrator. There are many, many ways to sustain your love for the arts and be involved in the arts every day, but not be on stage. Uh, and that's kind of the, the niche that I found for myself. And uh, it's been extremely rewarding for me so far, even in these early stages of my career. Well, Sam, this has been a delightful conversation. I see a bright future ahead of you. You are obviously very committed, very driven, and very teachable. It sounds like you're you're open to new things. You're constantly learning the the fact that you are in a full time job with young kids at home and taking on a doctorate. I don't know how you do it, but it sounds like you are at a very exciting juncture in your life. And I'm really excited to hear that. And I'm just so excited to see you thrive as a young professional. That's wonderful. I hope your story inspires many of our young listeners and even our teachers who are nurturing young talents to see that there are many different paths that we can take as musicians beyond just the traditional performer and then private studio teacher path. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so open. And I wish you and your school just tremendous success. With that, I wish you happy teaching and happy students.